It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. Hello, it's Rebecca Maida here, Zelina, the Wicked Witch of the West, and you are listening to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. Enjoy, because it's wicked. So good morning. Good morning, sunbeams will smile through. Good morning, good morning to you and you and you and you. And welcome everybody to this week's edition of the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I am your host, whatever is in Regina's drink, and I'm joined by my co-host. The way Regina says, Drusilla. And this is our read of Wake Up Call, which is the sixth episode of the seventh season of Once Upon a Time. I really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed it, actually. It took me to places I wasn't expecting. Um, yeah, just just lots of good stuff, you know? Lots of good stuff. Ashley, what did you think overall of the episode? Um, I, I actually, I really liked it. Um, maybe not so much the... Uh... I keep wanting to see Storybrooke out of habit. Um, the Hyperion Heights bits as much as the flashbacks this time, which was weird because usually it's vice versa for me. Um, though the scene in the bar between Regina and Drusilla, which we will definitely talk about, was like, that was that was A+. But for me, the alternate forest was really hitting it this week. I was, I was kind of surprised at that. Um, I'm excited with where they're going, but I feel like... We're, I mean, we're really, really building up here, and, and I'm kind of at the point now, I mean, we're about, what, midway of the first half. I'm like, okay, I need, I need a big, big whopper now. I need, I need something to happen, so I, like, uh, I don't know, knock my socks off, because I feel like we're getting a lot of buildup, and I don't want it to go all the way to the mid-season finale and then just, like, have a bunch of stuff come out and then be left hanging for a few months, you know? Yeah, I definitely get that. I don't want that to happen either. Um, I I can kind of agree with the with with that thought for sure. Their pacing maybe can sometimes feel a little bit off, but I feel like watching it back all together and like kind of like binging it, if you will, it'll all probably make a little bit more sense. So before we get into our full review of this episode, we're gonna go ahead and start off with some news bulletins. We're going to just refresh everybody's memory on what the episode titles are, because we got a new one today, courtesy of Adam Horowitz, so we're just gonna review what the other ones are as well, um, because there's a couple things we all need to know. So, next week on November 17th, well, this week, I guess, actually, this week on November 17th, this Friday, it's gonna be a two-hour special episode of Once Upon a Time. First half is gonna be called Eloise Gardner. It was written by David H. Goodman and Brigitte Hales. The second half is called Pretty in Blue, written by Dana Horgan and Leah Fong. Again, that airs this Friday, November 17th. And then we have a break, as we were anticipating. We're going to have a two-week break. 
So no episodes on the 24th or on December 1st as well. However, the show will be back on December 8th with One Little Tear, which was written by Christopher Hollyer and Adam Karp, before we go into the winter finale, episode 10, The Eighth Witch, written by Jane Espenson and Jerome Schwartz. A little bit of a departure there on The Eighth Witch, since typically the mid-season finales and premieres are written by Adam and Eddie. This time we're getting a premiere, or excuse me, a finale, written by Jane and Jerome instead. The guys wrote the spring premiere, however, and Ashley has that title for us, as well as two others. I sure do. The uh, spring premiere, which is episode 11, is Secret Garden, and like you said, that's written by uh, Adam and Eddie. And then we have A Taste of the Heights, written by David H. Goodman and Brigitte Hales. And then just today, this uh, episode title is dropped on Adam's Twitter. It's Nightfall, and that's night spelled K'night with a K. Written by Jerome Schwartz and Miguel Ian Rea. I'm really excited for that episode because, for those of you who aren't aware necessarily of all the behind the scenes production you know, stuff going on with the show, Miguel Ian Rea actually used to work on Once Upon a Time in a completely different capacity. And if you go back and look at the credits of some of the first couple of seasons, you should see his name there. He left the show because he got hired on to the ABC Writing Fellowship and was accepted through that and now has kind of come full circle and he's got his name on an episode and super happy for him. I can only imagine what that must feel like and, and everything. So I'm really super happy for Miguel. Congratulations, Miguel. That's super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. We also got our first look at Rapunzel on Friday, courtesy of TV Insider. Thanks to Michael Wogan over there for breaking the story. Um, and we also saw her again in the promo for the new episode. The interesting thing about this is that, number one, it is very much the Disney version of the fairy tale, the Tangled version. She is white and blonde in pink dress, and it very much looks like the Tangled version of that story, so I'm pretty stoked about that. And uh, some interesting notes in here as well, because it says that they're bringing back Rapunzel for a multi-episode arc that finds the feisty fairy tale princess, now played by Megan Warner, eager to get even with the evil sorceress who has kept her spellbound and imprisoned for years. The character, who was originally played by Alexander Metz for an episode in 2014, was rescued back then by Prince Charming. This time Rapunzel will meet the dedicated Captain Hook. Adam Horowitz hints that a mystery begins to unravel as soon as Hook climbs her iconic tower. Now, here was the other interesting thing about that, right? Is because in this photo that we're seeing, we're seeing Hook in the tower and he's dressed like a pirate. As far as I can tell, I'm having a hard time figuring out if he's in modern day clothing or not. Because if this is like a flashback thing, then does that mean that that was all happening in the tower that Regina and Rosella were in during this episode? Because that's right. what I was assuming. Right. I'm not like, where is this in time? That's kind of tripping me out. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. And it, and really, I feel like the fact that it was in front of the tower was, like, laying the groundwork for what's to come with this whole Rapunzel thing. Like, it's very clearly a Rapunzel thing. And what was interesting to... Well, I guess we're kind of getting in... <laughs> never mind. That'll be getting into the, the talking no, I points. Know what you're, I know what you're going to say, and I was I, I was going to say it, too, so we can save that for the talking points. Yeah, let's, let's do that. So, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty interesting. I'm really excited about this because I really like Tangled. I have said many times it's a superior movie to Frozen, and we already did Frozen, so I'm super <laughs> stoked to get Tangled. I also think that 
the guy that they cast for to play some lawyer in Hyperion Heights named Nick, who's I'm blanking on the actor's name right now, and I'm going to entertainment hell for it. Nathan Parsons. Thank you, Google. I really am pretty sure he's going to end up being Flynn Rider, and it just makes me want to watch Tangled and make sure that Ashley sees Tangled as well. So there we go. All right. Still haven't seen it. I know, and it's a shame because it's one of their best movies. Anyways, that's going to do it for our news bulletins in Chapter 1. We're going to move on to Chapter 2 and get into our review of the episode itself. So Wake Up Call was written by Jane Espenson and Jerome Schwartz. And I got to say, so now that we're really going to get into the nitty gritty of this, I got to say that <laughs> the character that I am now, well, one of the characters that I am now incredibly smitten <laughs> with is Drizella. I know, right? There was enough emphasis placed on her character and really playing up her links to Regina, the the parallel stories there, the rhyming poetry, if you will, like between her and Regina, that... I was really just captivated, 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 captivated by her character. All right, Alice. <laughs> I was I was super impressed with with what they did with this character. I was impressed by the the performance. It really was. I have a bunch of notes about things, but overall, <laughs> I mean, I gotta say, Drizella is was really another standout for me. Uh, kind of like how Alice was the standout of of that episode, Beauty, and you know, Tiana Makia Cox has continued to be a standout as. As Sabine, this time, yeah, she really got me as Drizella. She knocked it out of the park, I think. Like, she really... Because, you know, I was like, oh, Drizella's fun, but, you know, she's just kind of there. And as, like... She's the part, I think, that's really pushing the story along. As as layers of her are being um, unfurled, you're kind of like, oh, well, maybe she's good. Okay, no, she's really evil. No, she's really evil. Holy crap. And then uh, her... Like I said, I really enjoyed the alternate force bits uh, this episode. The one bit in particular is her speech um, when they're all together at Anastasia's coffin. And we will get to that more in depth, I'm sure. But, like, that was the moment that I was like, all right, there's there's my once upon a time villain. There's that awesome, delicious lady villain that the show cultivates so well. There she is. Um, so I'm... I'm actually really excited what they did that with the character of quote unquote the evil stepsister. They've really turned her into they've turned her on her ear or and turned that character on her ear rather and really fleshed it out into something really juicy, something I want to see more of. And I, I feel that's kind of like a very signature classic once upon a time thing to do so i'm really stoked to see okay where is you know where's this going i'm interested in that as well i also think it's really interesting that i've gone from being really more invested in in victoria belfry and lady tremaine and kind of having that shift over more to to drizella because until we get more of, like, Tremaine's history, like, I feel like until we get a Tremaine flashback that's really focused on on her and maybe a little bit more of why she's doing what she's doing, it might change a little bit. Mm. But for right now, like, I really understand Rosella because I understand, I, she is so much like Regina. And you're right in that it is classic Once Upon a Time to cultivate such a strong female 
villain and a female hero too but the, you know the female characters are always super strong on, on the show male characters as well but they're it's just more heavily populated by female characters the thing about drizella and you know what you said the evil stepsister that's kind of where my line of thinking is going with this is what i was just saying as well because instead of it being about tremaine the evil step the wicked stepmother it's about the the stepsister and you know, the fact that her mother clearly loves her sister more than she loves her to the point that she's willing to kill one daughter to sac- like for the other. She's willing to sacrifice one daughter in favor of the other. That's so sick. Like, that's so I twisted. I what makes Anastasia so special. Exactly. Like, like totally what was twisted, it that made her I mean, so... Right. What? Also, I find it interesting, too, that Tremaine's kind of turned into, like... I don't want to say a comedy character, but she also, she gets, she came off very sinister to start out with, but she, and not softened, but like, I feel like her, like the bits that we get of her now are a bit more along, they're a bit more playful, like kind of how Cruella was, where, you know, like you had the bit with uh, Alice jumping out at her in the car, and I thought that was, it wasn't meant to be hysterical, but it was hysterical to me. (laughs) She's like, ah, and then she maces her. But also, like, the bit with the beignets, and then now with the migraine, like, I know migraines are very serious, they're not a funny thing, but it just, her going on about, you know, aspartame, which I understand some foods can be a trigger. Again, I'm not making light of migraines, but I just think that she, it's not, I don't want to say she's lighthearted, I don't want to say she's comedic, but she just seems like a, a bit of a softening. Maybe that's because Drusilla's much more, like, sneaky and evil, and we're seeing her sneaky evilness. I don't know. No, I ag- I agree with that. At first, Drusilla seemed very kind of one-note, mm. almost like maybe not one-dimensional, but I wasn't sure what they were going to do with her. I thought that she was really just going to kind of be there to serve this antagonistic role against Cinderella, that she was basically going to be like the Emily Blunt character to and from the Devil Wears Prada mm-hmm. to, you know, Cinderella's Andy. And that's not the case at all. She's actually very complicated and very layered and has a whole messed up motivation and reason for why she's doing what she's doing. The sad thing is that in this case, I can't actually blame her for doing what she's doing or wanting to do what she's doing like it's an extreme thing to take you know it's an extreme step to take but i can understand why she would want to do it i don't agree with it i i just understand why she would want to do it Mm -hmm. um i get it and that makes her far more interesting and she isn't just one note she's not just the, the the comedic office foil if you will she is still that but to know that, you know, oh, actually, Tremaine isn't the one who had magic at all. Drizella is the one who had magic, and she was almost killed so that her sister could live because her mother is just awful. So she has every reason to want to be, like, vengeful. Okay, I get that. Like, I get that. I think that that was really, really exemplified as well in that scene at the coffin mm. because she has a line where she says to... Sorry... Oh, she says to Regina that Regina doesn't understand that they have a different story than she did. I love and that, that. her I pain. I love that. Yeah, she says her pain can't just be washed away. 
And I really, number one, it was really articulating, like, that this is a very, that it's a different show, that the stories are different, that it's not just, like, rehashing the same thing over again. I mean, it sets that line, it sets that boundary, and it also, it's kind of like this episode was a compare and contrast for Regina and Drizella, wasn't it? Because we see Mm -hmm. in the beginning how they're so similar to each other, and then in the end we see how similar Drizella is to younger Regina, but how very, very different that it all, it also in a way kind of reflects back how different Regina is now and how far she's come from being the evil queen who cast the curse in the first place. Oh, totally. Like, I feel like it, it, it shows basically, you know, the power of having a choice, the power of choices because Regina was, a, she wanted to be good and was, I feel almost forced to be evil Drusilla has the, she wants to be bad and wasn't forced to be evil. She embraced it open-heartedly. Like, there was no, there was none of the conflict that young Regina would have in learning magic. There was none of that, um, you know, should I, shouldn't I, um, you know, the the complicated uh, relationship she had with Cora. Drusilla's like, no, I have a clear path in front of me and this is what I'm going to do. There's no love lost there between... Drusilla and Tremaine, and part of that is on Tremaine, I feel like, because Cora, in her own infinitely messed up way, wanted to have a relationship with Dar. She wanted what was best for her Dar. She just went out a really, really crappy, shitty way of doing it. Tremaine doesn't have her best daughter, her best daughter. Well, she has her best daughter's interest in in, in uh, mind, but she doesn't have the best interest for her actual daughter <laughs> who's alive. That turned out a lot better than I thought it was gonna. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like it, it it also go. It's also on the mother as well, where and I feel like that almost makes Tremaine. I and I don't want to like you said. I don't want to use the word one note, but I feel like Tremaine's slightly less complicated now. So I think we really, really need this Tremaine backstory to kind of really grasp her motivations and why she is so dismissive of Drusilla and why she is so intent on bringing Anastasia back and how Cinderella wraps in all this. Because if you didn't know any better, you would have thought that, like, Drusilla, like, murdered Anastasia or something. You know what I mean? I, I need to see... Why, right. where, what led up to where we were at now, or not now, where we, what led up to where we're at in the alternate forest? Right. I need to know that too. And I, I would like to see more of Drizella and Cinderella's relationship. Um, I would like to see more of Drizella and Cinderella and Tremaine's relationship. I want to see that history. I'm looking forward to the backstory there. It was recently Danya Ramirez's birthday. That should have been in the news bulletins. I'm so sorry. Uh, happy birthday, Danya. Happy birthday. And Lana gave her a blanket on set, and she was wearing this pink dress that looks very similar not only to Rapunzel's dress, but it really actually looks more like the animated version of Anastasia's dress, the pink one. With the bustle. With the, yes, with all of that. So <laughs> I I was kind of like, okay, what are we doing here? Because we've got a costume switcheroo going on. Mm. So because they have, what they does have that dressing. mean? Like, is this going to end up, could this end up being a situation, right? Bear with me here, mm. where Cinderella isn't actually 100% the nice girl. Mm. And she's actually a little bit mean. And so then that's why she's wearing the dress is because she's more of the wicked stepsister and Anastasia's oh. kind of like the nice girl. 
And because, right, if you think Ooh. about it, it would make sense if Henry is into Cinderella, if that is kind of like been her personality arc, because it matches Regina's and, you know, <laughs> you kind of go for the girl that reminds you of mom. So that would make sense if she has a little bit of that attitude and that mean streak to her and we don't know it yet, then, you know, that that makes Ella have a lot more, ha- you know, in- it, it gives her a lot more in common with Regina mm-hmm. and also kind of explains why Tremaine is so all about Anastasia because Anastasia was the nice girl who ended up getting killed or whatever. Mm-hmm. I do find it interesting you mentioned color, and I know that's your thing, but it, you, you're right. Pink is very much not in Cinderella's wheelhouse on the show. She's obviously the iconic blue dress on the uh, PR materials with her on the motorcycle, but also I feel like a lot of her adventuring outfits have been very blue, and a lot of her wardrobe in uh, Hyperion Heights has had a lot of blue in it as well. So, you know, putting her in pink, that just doesn't really jive with her, I guess. So it's interesting to see what the context of that's going to be. I mean, it doesn't jive with her. It does jive with the animated version of Snow White because... Or, oh my god. Woo! It, it, <laughs> It does jive with the animated version of Cinderella because in the animated version of Cinderella, the first dress that she wears, which is like her mother's dress, that one was pink. And then she comes downstairs wearing that like she's going to go to the ball. And that's when Anastasia and Drizella rip it off of her and leave it in pieces. And then she runs outside to the garden. And that's when the fairy godmother bibbidi-bobbidi-boos her a new dress. So there's that. Also, let us not forget that there is an upcoming episode title called Pretty in Blue, and normally that phrase is reserved for pretty in pink. Mm. So I'm wondering really if that Pretty in Blue episode title, now that we're talking about costumes, I feel like maybe that'll be the Tremaine backstory episode that we're wanting to have here. I feel like that's actually going to be the family history episode that we kind of need to put some more pieces together. I'm excited to see it then. Um, as far as talking about family history, let's talk about that scene between Regina and Rumpel real quick. Oh, it was so, it was short, but it was sweet and it was perfect. It really was. I love that he explained to her that it was a blink of an eye for them, but an entire lifetime with Belle. That really kind of helped put everything together in the timeline much, much easier. <laughs> we had already kind of figured it out, you know, when we were talking about it. But it is nice to have even more confirmation there and just kind of reinforcing that. I really enjoyed the fact that they had Rumpel talk about how change is inevitable and that it's slow and painful at times, but it is inevitable. There's some really interesting social commentary going on there, Mm. I think, if you want to interpret it that way. There were a couple of things that happened in this episode that really got my wheels turning, and um, this was actually one of them. Because Rumpel asked Regina, why would Tremaine want her daughter to learn magic? Mm-hmm. Even, you know, when we get to the, ep- you know, later on in the episode where we're, where we're at the manor and Drizella shows up with Prince Gregor, who goes for Tremaine, but then, you know, Regina shows up. Anyway, long story short, Drizella uses magic to grow a plant through Gregor's chest and that kill him. Gruesome. That was pretty, like, hardcore. It was the edge that it needed. The mm. show has blood again, and I'm happy. <laughs> I know that's a funny thing, but I mean... I'm serious. The show has blood again, and I'm happy because we've talked about how it needs the edge, and it needs mm-hmm. that edge. It needs it. The other thing, too, right? So that she darkened her heart so that Tremaine can't take it for Anastasia. You know, she wants to cast the dark curse and plant a seed and plant a seed of pain in Tremaine's life. Again, the whole seed growing 
flower garden Plant thing. thing plants yes that which also ps by the way does play into the rapunzel storyline because ashley since you haven't seen it i'll explain <laughs> entangled a drop of star of starlight hits the ground and grows a magic flower and the queen is dying and then when she, and then they send her soldiers out to find the flower which is what mother gothel she finds it but she's been using it to stay young anyways they cut the flower out they mix it together into bras she drinks it while she's pregnant the queen's life is saved and she has a baby and the baby is blonde okay so and that's for anybody else who hasn't seen tangled either so that plays into tangled because there's the whole like flower thing like they call rapunzel flower like gothel's nickname for rapunzel is flower so that's another thing and then also too just going into it a little bit further in the original version of Rapunzel, the whole thing that kicks all of this off is that the woman who is who is pregnant is so hungry that she sends her husband into the garden next door to get her some radishes. And that's the witch's garden and she catches him and that's why she takes the baby to begin with. So isn't the isn't the original Rapunzel, doesn't the prince who climbs up the uh, upper hair, doesn't he get his eyeballs poked out with thorns, too? Yes, because he falls off the yeah he falls off the tower and then he's blinded because he he had thorns go in his eyes yeah. So total. Can we just like, Mother Gothel is living up at the top of uh, Victoria Belfry's crappy condos. Are we like? Can we just like put a pin in that because I feel like it's kind of almost confirmed at this point. I don't know. Like if it's not her, I'm gonna be totally shocked. I'm going to be shocked as well. I mean, not in a bad way because, you know, by no, all no, means, just like by all means go against my expectations. I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm there for it. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the, here's the note that I, that I made about that scene with, with Gothel up in the tower, because I am 1000% convinced that that is younger mother Gothel up there and that she will, she's going to age up into a special guest star, hmm. you know, at some point. So the note that I put was, Mary, Mary, quiet contrary, how does your garden grow? With hyacinth petals and chains made of metals and spiky plants all in a row. It is really funny that you use that nursery rhyme because you know that's what in the Secret Garden book and in the movie, I think, they used to chant that at the little girl Mary because she was so sour-faced and everything. Did you know that? I only remember it now from the movie. Now that you say it, I remember it, but I truly did not remember it when I was making that joke. Well, that's a thing. And literature, so it totally fits. That's layers, man, layers. Yay, hashtag literacy. That's something that's not sad. Use your 280 characters for that, won't you, America? Okay. I can't believe we have that many characters. I cannot believe that of all people. more characters than once upon a time. Zing. It does. (laughs) Bitch. Okay, so... (laughs) couple little oh okay so i want to get back to this whole mystery though right about tremaine and why does she want drizella to to learn magic why does she want drizella to learn magic what would her being able to what would her being able to use magic do for tremaine and tremaine's life or to think of it another way what what effect would magic have on anastasia like is tremaine thinking that by taking drizella's heart then Anastasia will also have the ability to do magic. If that's the case, why does she want Anastasia to be able to do magic in the first place? What is going on? And how does Tremaine know the witch? What does she? What does the witch have on her? What does the witch owe her? Why is she a prisoner? 
what is going on? Like, see, and here's the, here's the thing, right? Tilly, when she's talking to Rogers, she tells him that he, she asked him, what pieces do you have that you're not paying attention to? Mm, I like that a lot. I feel like that's a hint. I feel like that's a hint from the writers that like you have, you actually have some clues to figure this out, but you're not paying attention to them because you're focusing on, on the things that we're making you pay attention to because we're writing it. <laughs> so, but, but for real though, that is a question. Like, why does she want her to learn magic? That doesn't make any sense. What difference would that make in her life? How do Tremaine and Gotham know each other? What's that whole situation about? Why is Hook in a tower with Rapunzel? What does Rapunzel have to do with it? Who is his daughter? Is it Alice? Is it Rapunzel? Why is there a sketchbook? What's up with the tattoo? Like, there are so many little things. Like, I feel like later on I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast. Maybe I'll even do it while I'm putting it together. And, like, write down all these questions and then go back and do, like, a binge of the first couple episodes of this season so I can try to figure it out. <laughs> And be like, what has happened and what hasn't happened? And what information do we have and what do we not have? There were some really interesting notes about Eloise Gardner, too. Sorry? I was saying, what's a misdirect? Because, I mean, I've never seen Rapunzel before. Like, that was a big thing when I was watching the the, uh, promo for the next couple of episodes. I was like, okay, so she is new. She's not the person in the tower, uh, in Belfry's tower. She's not Alice. Like, who, who dis? Who are you? So, yeah, like, what's a misdirect? Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, yeah, because it's not a situation where it's like, okay, this one character is actually three different characters. Like, they're all separate people. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's a thing where normally we'd be playing the game of, okay, who is this person going to be? And then secretly they're also this other person, too, from this fairy tale, and that's how they all mix it up. Mm. So far, they're not mixing that way. I don't know how to make heads or tails of this new storyline. And I love that. I love that I don't know what's going on and i love that i kind of almost can't figure it out although i feel like i'm close to figuring out something like i'm asking some questions where i'm like i feel like there's all of this is connected i almost feel like i'm rogers trying to put together this case for eloise gardner myself speaking of by the way there was some really interesting notes about eloise gardner in this episode he said that she liked art she hated school she was an amateur poet he said again that she disappeared 10 years ago that's the second time they've said that now so I don't know what that's about. Um, he says that something about the rune seems to have scared her away, like the weird tattoo. I can't figure that all out either. What's going on with that? I, The Eloise and, and, Gardner mystery is certainly alive and well. Right, and we don't know how spot on Rogers is as well, because obviously Tilly's like, um, what are you not seeing? So he could be jumping to some wrong conclusions as well. Again, misdirection. Where maybe the exactly room all these red herrings her. and things. Yeah, communism was just a red herring. Yeah, so I also really liked the fact that Ivy. Um, P.S. By the way, a little on a side, I love the fact that Ivy posted pictures of her and Henry drinking online with the hashtag Drunkaween, and then, you know, like that caused some problems. I just I was like, that is that is so true. And then Ronnie responded with, that's why I'm not on social media. I just, I that again, like the whole modern day stuff, there are apps, there's, there's Swift, you know, things like that. Oh, too, the, speaking of Swift, there was a line that Henry had um, that really kind of made me laugh a little bit because he said, oh, the, it was when he was asking out uh, Cinderella or Jacinda, I suppose. 
Jacinderella. Jacinderella. Let's call it. Let's just call it that. So Jacinderella <laughs> is trying to, you know, she's fixing her truck. And first of all, with the say anything tribute, which was so cute. Oh my god. And I then was like, what a dork. Oh my god, he was so dorky in that scene, but it was great. Well, dude, again, right? Like, if we're talking about like what I was saying earlier about the whole pretty and pink reference and John Hughes movies, mm. say anything. We're going mm, there. Okay. Like we're going full uh, yeah, yeah. brat pack on this. Like, li- like literally, like I'm waiting for a Breakfast Club reference. That's gonna be the only thing that's missing. <laughs> there was another plot line taking place with Henry and Jacinda at the food truck, and I want to talk about this scene for a minute because it's gonna begin a conversation that I've been avoiding having on the podcast because I don't want to be a jerk. But at the same time, I can only offer sincerity since this isn't the Pollyanna show, although it can be depending on where the story takes us. The thing that I really liked the most about this scene was the fact that Henry took the lead. And that may sound chauvinist. I hope it doesn't. And let me explain the reason why I like that so much was because I feel like the scenes between Henry and Jacinda aren't working so far. Mm-hmm. Um. I have a little bit of a different feeling about Henry and Cinderella, I feel, or Ella, rather. I feel like those scenes work better. I, as, like, for example, the scene where he's trying to teach her how to fix the motorcycle and he keeps all of his tools in the Tron lunchbox. That was so cute. And I also kind of get a little bit of a Michelle Rodriguez in the Fast and the Furious vibe off of her a little bit. <laughs> so... I thought that it was really sweet that she would be, like, learning how to fix cars because that seems like something that the character would do. Like, she's capable of going out and running everything on the farm and knowing how to take care of that big old manor house and being a servant. So, yeah, she's also going to know how to be a mechanic because why the hell wouldn't she, right? right? So I thought that that was just really cute and sweet. And that scene worked. And then the scene between Henry and Jacinderella in, at the food truck, that was working just fine, too. When, when Henry was kind of taking the lead and there was a little bit more, like, sarcasm, a little bit more of a playful tone to that scene, like, I feel like maybe that is kind of like, kind of like with Thor and Thor Ragnarok, okay, where Thor is, like, maybe not now so Shakespearean, he's lightened up a little bit and he's not the same Thor that he was in the first couple of movies or the Avengers movies, too. He's different. It's kind of the same thing. I feel like with Cinderella, she works better when she has a little bit more of a comedic edge as opposed to more of the drama. Because I feel like that also complements Henry's character, especially in the like the first season of the show. Like Henry was such a smartass. And I feel like he needs to be with a smartass. And that adult Henry should be a little bit of a smartass. And he is. So I really thought that these scenes were working finally because it just hasn't been working for me yet so far in the past couple of episodes. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I, I agree that it just seems like, I mean, I understand that Jacinda in, in Hyperion Heights is, is kind of got it really rough and like is kind of living out her own modern Cinderella story. So things like, you know, she's under a lot of stress, but you're right. When she's able to, I guess, like lighten up a bit. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it. She, me neither works better with the other characters i think um because i have to agree with you i feel like the modern i want to say modern i guess whatever the hyperion heights bits between henry and jacinda aren't 
meshing as well as the alternate forest uh, scenes between them. And obviously that's probably the hindrance of the curse as well, but I feel like we see more of a, a blooming between them um, in the alternate forest, uh, flower pun, than we do um, in Hyperion Heights. Well, and I feel like that's kind of the other thing too. I feel like you've just kind of um, plucked a petal on another topic. So we can kind of get into that too, because the other thing that I feel like, and maybe it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's done intentionally. Maybe it's an intentional change from, you know, like the Snow White Prince Charming story. But I feel like with, maybe that's what it is. I feel like the scenes between Henry and Jacinda in Seattle aren't working because I don't feel the weight of their love story yet because I haven't seen it finish playing out in the alternate forest. Mm-hmm. Because we started at the end with Snow White and Prince Charming. Yeah, like, we've seen them together. Like, we saw them meet. We saw, you know, stuff in the Resistance. He's showing her how to fix the motorcycle and stuff like that. But it's not like it's... I don't feel like it's progressing necessarily at the same pace that the Snow and, Char and Charming story did. Like... Uh, remember that there was that one episode where Snow was going to go meet him and she couldn't because George had the letter and if she didn't do the thing then he was going to do the bad thing so she had to tell Charming no and he made her <laughs> she made him cry and it was awful and then she had to walk away and she was all teary yes very distinctly I remember that when she was just like nope I'm not showing up and she just walks away and it's just tears and it was the, yeah that was a really good meaty scene yeah, I feel like there's like that that's kind of missing from the from the Henry and Ella story in the alternate forest. I feel like that's what needs to happen. And I wonder if it's a thing where it's like instead of doing it where they're, you know, instead of kind of repeat like repeating what they did with season 1 and that story and telling the love story in the enchanted, you know, in like the the fairy tale side of things and then having the the dramatic, oh, but we can't be together story going on kind of in Storybrooke. I almost wonder if they're actually trying to tell the Henry Cinderella love story in Hyperion Heights just as much as they are in the alternate forest. Now I kind of feel like I'm talking out of my ass and I don't know what I'm talking about because maybe none of this is correct, but... I don't know. No, I, I totally know what you mean, though. It feels like, you know, it's uh, two lines running parallel, where you have you have a love story developing um, very much out in the open in the Alder Forest, and you have kind of like a love story that's tripping over the hazards of modern day, what with the, the apps and just, you know, economy and things like that. Like, we don't have to worry about any witches running around, but, like, holy crap, how am I going to pay rent? Um... So I think I think you you do it you you've got something there with with two things kind of running parallel and it's interesting to kind of see them I don't know like maybe that's what it is is that like the modern love story isn't as appealing in the realm of once upon a time but the fantastical one is I don't know though but like I think you're right though I feel like neither is progressing I don't want to say fast enough for my liking but it just seems like they they don't have that that moment with a capital M that um, Snow and Charming did. I feel like they need to have like 
like one sparkly moment to kind of get them like over over the hump to where like okay yes I I believe I believe that this is a, a relationship that could result in true love's kiss. Exactly. That's that's what it is. I need more of there because right there's really there's two different alternate forest time periods in the past that we have to explore. We've talked about this before. There's what we've seen, mm. which is, you know, the the Henry and Cinderella meeting and falling in love and getting together. You know, we're seeing that part of the story. But there's also the whole 10 years between when Lucy was born and, and the curse. There's mm-hmm. a whole 10 years there that we haven't explored yet. And I really want is- to. How is that going to work out? That still baffles me how that's going to work with everything. Dude, I don't know. I I don't know because it seems (laughs) like everybody is the same age and then they just added a 10-year-old. Right. And I need to know more about, like, that story. Like, how how did Lucy and Henry end up in the Enchanted... in the Alternate Forest in the first place when he was like running through the woods away from the darkness that was coming to like invade their house. <laughs> How did they get from a, a complete family unit with Cinderella to that moment? And then the darkness came and Henry fought it and then Henry lost. And then Tiger Lily showed up to help Lucy. What happened after that? Well, or before that? Because, I mean, like, where did Old Hook and Rumple and Regina go then? And why haven't they dressed? I mean, we know why Rumple hasn't drastically aged because of daggerness. And I'm assuming Old Hook has some sort of mumbo-jumbo with his euthanizing, so that doesn't count. But Regina should be getting some of that Lily Munster that Belle had going, you think. But, I mean... So it was, well, she's all. I mean, you know, she's also vain. So youth, or oh, youth I'm not cleansing. Sure that she would ever allow that to happen. Juice cleanse. There we go. I said youth cleanse, but you know, I feel like that's probably a good time for us to get into that whole subject of what happened with Regina this episode, don't you? I do. So this was a major episode for Regina, clearly, as we knew that it would mm. be, as we discussed. The main thing is that she's awake. Thank God she's awake. But oh my God, she's awake, and that scene. Oh my God. (laughs) God. So good. So, um, let's just, I'm, I, I'm tired of reading this to you of what happened as though I'm reading you some kind of a story out of a book, but just to recap exactly what happened, Drizella walked into Ronnie's with her fantastic line. No one's here. I must have missed your little Avengers assembly. Mm. I was like, thank you. She was so sweet upon arrival. What with her jokes and her pulling down her top shelf liquor. You know, and I was just like, oh, well, don't you just think you're hot shit? And then... I mean, she kind of does, though. Well, I mean, well, not only does she, but she kind of is at this point, because she did all of this, so... <laughs> I mean, I mean, she, you know, if you got it, flaunt it. So then she starts asking Ronnie, you know, what if all of Henry's fairy tales are true? You know, what? because once you start asking those kinds of questions, your brain just gets fuzzy, and then she can push it. Right over the edge. And then it happens, the flashback, the huge flashback of her remembering all of these things, of her remembering her life, and then she is awake. And she's got no magic to joke Drizella with, but she's got cell service for a phone call from Henry. But he can't know about this, and we don't know why, but the reason was enough to send Regina into an emotional state like such that we have never seen before. 
she was instantly angry and then as soon as she realized the whole bit about the curse she was like defeated i know right like she really like those weren't like because we've seen angry crying regina we've seen like oh shit's really hard crying regina but this was just like like a hundred percent like sad like i mean this is like robin hood died crying regina like this is bad this was like she seemed afraid for the first time that i have ever known this character she seemed genuinely afraid of what she was being threatened with which i i, I wonder like drusilla had to have had because i mean we, we kind of it's a gimme that drusilla cast the curse not Tremaine at this point right yeah I want to know, like, this seems really powerful for, I mean, a novice. Drusilla, uh, she, she had some skills. She, she had the plant thing. But she still seems like kind of a novice. But to get a dark curse cooking and the then The plant to... thing? For... The plant thing? She grew Seymour. <laughs> Feed me. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me. No, wait, she didn't grow Seymour. She Audrey, too. That's what she grew. Well, I guess, but Seymour was in the box, and I don't know who put Seymour in the box. Seymour's but, not you know. the name of the plant. The plant's named Audrey, too. Wait, what? Seymour's not the name of the plant. Seymour is Rick Moranis' character. The plant's name is Audrey, too. Oh, that's it's right. It's named Audrey. after Audrey, the, the gal. So we're going to pretend Audrey then that two. I didn't say that, and we're going to go back in time, because I'm going to cut <laughs> this together, and I'm going to say, yeah, but... No! <laughs> but Audrey, too, is in the box. He, like, ugh. My God. But, okay, but, but anyway, but she, I mean, she seems, I mean, the thing is, though, like, the Dark Curse is, like, the, like, OG ultimate magic. So, for her to, like, okay, I'm just gonna rewrite a little bit here, do-do-do, I feel like, I mean, obviously she, well, you know, she had Gothel's help, I guess, but, like, still, like, I don't know, it's just, there's, there's, Obviously, she's not as autonomous as she seems to be because Gothel's saying all the right things to make her feel loved. Don't know how genuine that we, is. Well, yeah. I but mean, Gothel's upstairs with... playing Mommy Dearest. Like... <laughs> but, but, like, the, but that's, like, the confidence she was exuding in the bar, like, that was just excellent. And I really liked what they did with, like, the kind of, what is the nettle drug kind of, you know, kicked into effect. And her voice kind of modulated down. It was really creepy. Like, that was... Do more of that. That actually, that worked for me. That, like, it kind of made me go, ooh. Right over the edge. That worked for me, too, though. Like, it went really, really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. But, oh my god, with Drizella, like, not only is her confidence earned because she did all of this. I mean, going back to Regina, like... When she said, you know, when the curse, if the curse breaks, something bad happens to the people you love, she started crying. Mm. Like that, which really all it can mean is that Henry and or Lucy are going to die if the curse breaks, which I was like, oh, she is true. She is. I mean, okay. Oh my God. I think I just, you know what it is? Like, well, maybe it isn't. Do, wasn't there like a whole thing like you needed the heart of the thing you love most to enact the curse? Yes. What if it's Henry's heart? And what if Regina ended up casting the curse and Drusilla forced her to? And that's why it's like he's only alive as long as the curse. Well, but is then still he would have. He would have. But then he would have to be dead, though. Well, I'm saying. Well, what if that's what she changed? 
that he 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 doesn't die from his heart being taken because you know you can take a heart and and control somebody and they're not dead. So what if they took the heart? Because, I mean, they reintroduced heart-taking with Lady Tremaine in this episode. So they're like, yeah, that was actually the first heart pull I think that we saw successful this season. Um, yeah, successful, question mark? I'm trying I'm trying to remember if, if the heart pulls from, like, episode three were successful. Anyway, never mind. Nah. Um, but what if that's what the change in the curse is? Is that, yeah, it requires the heart of the thing you love most, but this curse was rewritten to include the caveat that you know, and the thing you love most will stay alive as long as the curse is 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 unbroken. I don't know. I'm uh, I like that idea a lot, but I there has to be a way out of it. And how do you get out of that? Well, maybe they didn't burn the heart. Like who knows? Like the heart could be, you know, under I like guess, the heart yeah. could be buried in the garden or something. Because true, I, there are ways. Heart vaults are a thing. Heart vaults are a thing, Zach. <laughs> that's true, that's true. I also love that that when it happened, Regina said, do you want a gold star? I just want to be like, <laughs> oh, I know where you can get one of those. I know where you can get some gold, for sure. Yeah, I know where you can go. But then, yeah, Drizella's like, no, I need your help to make sure that Henry and Jacinda don't share true love's kiss to break the curse, because don't forget, you know, stuff's going to happen, blah, blah, blah foreshadowing and like oh my god because then that totally goes back to what was happening in like the other storyline because like she's teaching her magic oh my god like i really like drizella and regina's relationship like i almost wish they could be mother and daughter in some way <laughs> like uh, i like i i was the thing about the flashback bits though is just that like we kind of knew, well, not we kind of, we knew Drusella was, like, soups evil, like, in Hyperion Heights, so I feel like the impact of her kind of about face was lessened a little with her scenes up in the, uh, the Belfry, I guess, haha, <laughs> with, uh, Mother Dreadlock Gothel there. I feel like maybe if those scenes, like, if we didn't have so many of those scenes of her, like, um, working together with the dreadlock lady it would have made it a bit more like because we were just starting to see you know that we we bit questioned at the end of the halloween episode like oh maybe drusella is turning a new leaf if they if we had kept that going and then had her about face like oh man she's super evil and then had a like a scene with her and dreadlocks mcgee like i feel like maybe that would have had more of like a because the whole time I was watching, the, like, the teaching of magic thing, I'm like, she's she's going to screw you over, Regina. She's going to screw you over. She's going to screw you over. And that took me a little bit out of it, but I still appreciated what was happening there. So I'm like, well, maybe this it's not going to screw you over this episode, and I was wrong. I don't know. But I also think that, like, maybe they didn't do that just because the about face would be too abrupt. And then it would be like, well, that's a rip. Like, you know, okay, she, so I guess she's evil now, whatever. So I can kind of see both sides of it. You see both sides of the mirror, huh? huh? Um, Yeah, I I see that as well. I mean, I like the fact that they did such, a, such an about face. Because the thing is, too, like, I think that they did a good enough job, like, without getting into it in too much detail... They did a good enough job of making it clear that Drizella has been suffering under her mother's thumb for her entire life. Mm -hmm. 
and that this wasn't just like a, a, a rebellious teenager kind of thing, like that she has real legitimate reasons to want to escape. I feel like that was also emphasized by the scene with Rumpel and Regina, where Rumpel is telling her, you grew up with a mother just like that. Do you really think that, you know, whatever, like, you know, he's really putting it to her. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's true. Like, do you really think that she would be able to do that? No. So again, why does she want her to learn magic? Because that means what that really means then. Oh God, I'm getting into theories. I'm getting into theories. I haven't gotten into theories in so long. That means that if you think about it, right. If Tremaine knows that Drizella is going to Regina to learn magic and she's not doing anything to stop her and she wants her to learn magic, then that means she's going to benefit in some way from Drizella learning magic. So what would be beneficial to her life of Drizella using magic? What if she knows that Drizella is going to end up casting the curse or whatever? What if somehow, like, what if there's a seer or something in this land as well that basically tells Tremaine, like, yeah, this is going to happen. And she's like, okay, let her cast the curse then, and it'll be fine. Because also, that's the other thing, right? That's the other piece of this whole thing. If Drizella cast the curse, she cast it and made sure that Tremaine was awake. But Tremaine thinks that Ivy is, is, a, is thinks that Drizella is asleep. So that means that Tremaine somehow thinks that she was victorious and cast the curse. Huh. See, there's, there are more pieces here than we realized. Because if Tremaine... Because, yeah, Tremaine thought that everybody else was asleep, and she thinks that she's working with the witch upstairs to do whatever. So that means that... Oh, I see. They're getting played, and we're getting Maybe. the runaround. Because the real villain of the story is Mother Gothel. She was playing two sides. You know, she's the middle playing the two sides. She's the... Well, I'm... She's the real what? villain. Gothel is Le- is Supreme Leader Snoke. Because <laughs> it, it, so it makes make sense I, if you think about it because she's, she, because she, she's wearing red, number one, so she's got all the power. And number two, she's playing Tremaine because Tremaine thinks that she's going to be victorious as long as she does whatever the witch says. And then Drizella is over there you're like, yeah, my, my mother is stupid and we're fooling her together. Ha 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 ha, we're so evil. By the way, here's some tea and a crumpet. Like... <laughs> you know what i mean so like the the clear villain of all this is mother gothel and so that's what that's really we've just put it together friend that's why the emphasis on rapunzel is now becoming so heavy because we thought that it was just going to be this big cinderella story and it's not it's actually like a much bigger telling that has rapunzel and gothel in on it too and don't forget as well that somehow i bet you anything facilier has something to do with all of this Oh, yeah. No, they wouldn't just introduce him and then drop him, I don't think. Like, especially because Sabine is, like, such a prominent, you know, person. Like, for being, exactly. like, a, a side character, she's she's been featured a lot. So, unless... And the fact that they want to bring Naveen in on the second half, and it sounds like we're really mm-hmm. going to get more of the Princess and the Frog in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. It sounds... Oh... Maybe that's it, Ash. Maybe that's it. Maybe the reason why we're getting more of filling in the blanks of Henry and Cinderella and their first meeting and that whole thing happening is because the second half of the season is going to be focused more on the stuff with Lucy and Henry and Cinderella. I bet you anything that's what happens because the premiere is called Secret Garden, which is more of Lucy's thing. 
Mm-hmm. And that's been, and then a taste of the heights, a taste of the heights. So a taste, that's food, that's Tiana. And I kind of said that last week. But now this nightfall night. I bet you, ooh, I bet you a taste of the heights is the name of their food truck. Oh, yes, a taste of the heights. It would be their food truck because it goes into the Game of Thorns thing from the first season in Skin Deep. That'll be the joke. Mm. But then Nightfall, right? So who's the knight? So we've got knights, Nightfall, the knight, the knight on the chess table. (gasps) Nightfall, checkmate. That means bad news bears for old Hook. And there, I, I, it really does mean that. And I don't know about if it's just me, but I really got the the sense, especially this episode, and I got it from from Rumples too, and maybe even on, not as much from from A Pirate's Life, but I got it from Beauty, and I got it from Wake Up Call too. It really feels like, surprisingly, they're keeping the emphasis on the show on the newer characters and they're not trying to like really make Rumple Regina and Fat Hook like how they were mm-hmm. before. I really appreciate mm-hmm. like I no. like that because I want something new and different and I want the new characters to be able to shine on their own. So I'm okay with that. But the whole nightfall mm-hmm. thing like watch that's going to be connected. Oh my god. I love theories. Oh my god, it's been so long. See, this is it. This is what I said was going to happen. Didn't I say it's going we're going to get to a point where we're going to get enough information then bam. We're looking at all pieces. And now we're here. We're at the point where we have enough episodes, we have enough information to start asking the questions that we're asking to start figuring this out. That's fantastic. I'm really happy about that. Oh, I love theories. I've missed the theories. I miss the theories. Oh, it's been, it, this is, oh, this is so exciting. That cool creativity brain. I should probably write some of this down. There's another little scene that I want to talk about really quickly that we haven't addressed yet, which is the scene that happens between Regina and Henry after she's been awakened. Oh, it's so sad. That scene when they're on the bench outside, um, that scene was really so sad. There, it was, And it was going back and forth between that and the scene in the forest where you know, Regina is telling Henry that she feels like she's out of place because she came there to be with him thinking that she needed him or that he needed her and he's all grown up and he has his own life and he can fight his own battles and he doesn't really seem to need her at all. But then he's like, no, I'm I'm always going to need you. And she's like, I need you too. And then here's the other thing, right? She said that whatever else she was supposed to do with her life, she's his mother first. And without that, she doesn't know how to be. And I was like, the empty nest metaphors are heavy here, folks. Like, can you pick those up? I know they weigh a lot. Like, serious, serious empty nest metaphors going on. And I love it because, if you think about it, Regina's entire characterization, for the most part, during the first six seasons of the show, it was all based around Henry. Her whole life and everything was based around Henry. Hell, everything that happened in Storybrooke only happened because Henry Mm. set it off in the first place. It was always about Henry. Even when stuff was going on with Robin and and whatever, like, even when all those things that were going on, it still always came back to the family, her relationship with Henry, protecting him, her friendship with Emma, protecting that, all of that kind of thing. So... Now we're at a point in the story with this character where Henry has grown up. She is living in a brand new city. She's moved to a new place, right? And now she has to figure out what her life is going to be like on her own. 
And that was true in the alternate forest, and it's still true in Hyperion Heights. I love that they're giving her more of a basis for who she is than vengeful woman who was wronged slash protective mother. Like, we're, gi we're giving her a new angle now. We're giving her something new. There's new emotions to feel, new situations to put her in, new drama. The drama. So I I really I really like I really like that Ash I don't know if you have any notes on that whole thing but that's what I have to say. My only thing was is I feel like just just ever so slightly that I, the emptiness syndrome is like hardcore. I don't know I feel like you know Henry is a grown man and maybe she's holding on a bit too tight but I understand why she is because you're right Henry is her world. But, I mean, I don't know. Just part of me is just like, okay, ease up a little bit, Regina. But then just seeing the pain that she had, she was, like, just able... She's there. Like, her son is there. And she has now the memories of being cursed and, you know, failing to adopt him as well as knowing what she had. And I think that makes her appreciate and long for a relationship with her grown son more that being not being able to be um i guess honest with the fact you know of who she is hurts more than so i with knowing that in mind i do appreciate it more but at the same time like i guess part of me was just like okay regina it's okay you know you, you he 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 can he can do it too you raised him right so i don't know well, for her, too, you also have to remember it's a little bit of an adjustment because he went from being a teenager to a grown man, like, in the blink of an eye. Mm, so, true, true. You know, she is still adjusting to all of that as well. The other thing, though, right, the bench scene, back to that bench scene in Hyperion Heights, because, number one, I noticed that he was wearing, like, a red cardigan. And she's got on that black leather jacket with her red accents. So, costuming, great choices there. He sits down on the bench and they start talking and I just want to point out, because in case you didn't see it, but your brain probably did, right when he's sitting down and they're having that conversation, there's a pregnant woman who walks by in the background. I did not even see that. Yep, it's there. I loved it. Um, Ra Regina, Ron-Gina, Regina, she probes who Henry's mom is, cursed Henry's mom, to try and figure out, you know, what does he think? And then he tells her, when he tells her he was born in prison and grew up in the foster system, and then she's like, like Emma did. I was like, oh my god. Because apparently, you know, when you pair that with the scene from earlier where Cursed Ronnie is telling Cursed Henry about how she tried to adopt once a little baby boy, but at the last second she was told that, you know, it wasn't a good fit or whatever. Like, the curse took the thing that put them together and separated them. Like, that was so, I was like, oh man, like... You're going to expect that because this it's this curse. But yeah, this is like, this is more pain. This is almost more painful than the first one was really like in a way, but maybe it's also because yeah. we've had the previous six it, years no, to build up all the drama, but it feels like this one feels worse. Well, it just feels like with, you know, in the first curse, the OG curse, season one curse, everyone was put in storybrooke and they didn't have their memories and they didn't have their happy endings but they they were just stuck but they weren't actively miserable like they knew something was missing but they could still function 
this curse is like, nope, I'm going to twist the knife. Like, where I'm going to take away your happy ending. It's not like you haven't achieved it, which is kind of how the first curse felt like. And that was a lot of the first season was like helping, yes, you know, original yes. Cinderella or whoever achieve their uh, happy ending. This was exactly. like, no, exactly. I'm, I'm tearing it away from you. Like right. roots and I all. Agree. It's a bloody, I agree with bloody that. hole where it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with that. And then later on for her to be like, yeah, I picked up a copy of your book and it was really good. And he's like, you know, it's okay. You don't have to say that kind of thing. I was like, oh, this is so sweet. And then he has a line that really just spoke to me. He says that it used to bother him that nobody really liked it, but then he realized that it doesn't matter because he kind of just wrote it for himself. Mm. And aspiring writers everywhere went, thank you, Jane and Jerome, because, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you need to hear that. And then he says, growing up, an orphan, all he ever dreamt of was having a mom. And then he found himself a way, to, or he found a way to give himself two. And then she grabs his hand and she's getting all emotional. And she's like, I'm just so glad that we're getting to know each other. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like. This is so, this is really sad, mind you. Like, it's a sad situation, and it's a horrible curse, and it's terrible. But this is, su- like, I have never, like, I continue to be impressed with how many layers Lana Perea can bring to this character. hmm Like, she just, this is a totally, I mean... It's a totally different side. And not only that, too, right? Like, there, I mean, it's a, oh, it's just a totally different side. But then there's another scene that I totally, like, just glazed over because we've just been talking about whatever. There's a scene earlier in the episode when she goes to Weaver and with Lucy and asks him for his help in figuring out <laughs> whether or not Regina Mills really exists or not. And he's awake knowing that she's cursed and he's going along with it. Hey, okay, I'm like, Rumble, what's your deal? What's your game? What's going on? What, what, what? And then to see the promo for next week where he's like, what, you know, she's like, what does the name Rumpelstiltskin mean to you? And he's like, oh, well. That's going to be the thing. That's going to be the thing, thing, right? Like, Like, Because next week is week seven, which is where in season one we were at the heart of the truth, or... Um, the heart is a, the heart is a lonely hunter where Graham died. So next week, I feel like is going to be the week that you know Regina and Rumple confirm to each other. Yeah, we're awake and we need to get this little like we need to tear this little bitch down because no. Well, that's that's the thing that like it is driving me up a wall and I love it is that Victoria's awake and she thinks she's the only one. Drusilla's awake and I don't know like she knows she's not the only one. But she also is holding all the cards. Rumple's awake, and no one else knows it. And now Regina's awake, and somebody else knows it, and they're holding the power over her. And so she's trying to figure out who else is awake, but nobody wants to confirm or deny. And then Old Hook is, like, half awake because of the book in, in, what was it, the first or second episode? So, like, he's really starting to, like, suss things out. Oh, and then Alice is just like, you know, like... It's so weird that everyone's cursed, but, like, nobody's cursed? Does that make sense? Yeah, like, everyone's... Everyone's cursed, and they all know it, 
but they don't know it it's, because they're cursed? You know what it is? It's like when they came back in season three um, when Zelina brought everybody back and they're like, whoa, like we don't know how we got back to Storybrooke, but we're all back and yeah. It's kind of like that except if, if no one knew that they knew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, big question. <laughs> Yeah, like everyone everyone is awake and nobody knows it and then they can't go confirming to each other that they're all awake because you can't exactly be like, "Hi, so did you know that we're fairy tale characters or no?" You're Rubble Stillskin. Are you aware of this? No? Yes? No? Okay. Like you can't do that because then you'll end up, you know, eating marmalade sandwiches right alongside Alice. So, <laughs> what are you going to do? Just a couple of little bookends here. I love the scene when Alice had Rogers wheel her out of the room on the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. It was very, very, like, father-daughter, like, paternal of them. And, like, that's, like, they're screwing with us. Because that is a total red herring, I feel like. Because it just, like, I don't think Alice can be the daughter now. I don't know. Well, you mean you, mean you don't think Rapunzel can be the daughter? Well, no, uh, no. I said when Alice... Well, no, Alice has to be the daughter. Hold on, hold on. Now I'm confused. See, again, the show is twisting my brain up. Now I'm confused. You don't (laughs) think Rapunzel can be the daughter, but you seem tangled, so you have, like, things that are informing your decision. Well, yeah, because the thing is, like, Rapunzel is royalty. She is the daughter of the king and queen of the kingdom of Corona. So you can't just (laughs) make Hook into the king of Corona all of a sudden. I mean, maybe you can in this realm. Who knows? But that just doesn't i mean he kind of looks like him i guess that that just doesn't stand a reason for me though like i can't because then it's like who's because the other question right we haven't even gone into this who the hell is her mother is it mila i mean like who's her mom mm. who are these people like who are you people shut up get away from my counter i'm busy like i I just can't i can't (laughs) well no and though too is that like though alice you i mean one would assume that eloise gardner looks like alice because if it is alice technically but unless the curse is like futzing with him but the other part of it is is hasn't alice and hook met in the alternate forest like because rumple that's came the real through. question that's the real question right and he, he met up with alice and then rumple met up with regina so alice has to be nearby so where you know oh, but you know what Hook was on a boat, wasn't he? Isn't that what they said in this episode? Like, he was off navalizing? Yeah, he is doing something. Pirating. Um, because Henry asked Regina if she was going to go join Hook on one of his whatever, and she was like, no. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, so then I guess he wouldn't have... It's going to be one of those things where they just miss each other, and I hate that. That's so obnoxious. Um, but she does pop up in... Okay, so the promo... Not to jump too far ahead, though, but the promo, it seemed like Henry knew that Alice, but was it a... Oh, wait, he knew her from the thing, duh, stupid Ashley, because she was in the... Wait a minute, how does that... No, that doesn't make sense. Wait, yes, it does. Crap! Um... Are you okay? Do you need a drink? <laughs> Maybe. Henry recognizes Alice because she took him down into, like, the shroom den. Right. That's, but, like, so that happened before, chronologically before, all the stuff that's happening now. But 
Alice and Rumpel meeting up together happened before that, but there must have been something in between those two instances because Alice seemed like she was really in the know about a bunch of stuff. So what happened in between Rumpel coming through the portal and Alice asking if he has a boyfriend and Alice taking uh, Henry down into the shroom den? Like, that's where the missing piece is, I think, for Alice, for me. Well, yeah, not only that, but, like, where does that fit into with, like, the curse? And, like, where was Rumpel when Drizella, I guess, cast the curse? Like, was Alice there for that? Did he talk to Alice about the fact that she's supposed to be this guardian of the dagger? Or has that conversation not even taken place yet? Like, Can so... you really talk about the fact that he's traveling with the cup? Or he he went back to the house to get the cup because the cup made it through the curse, so he had to have given Alice the cup. So the chipped cup is somewhere in all of this as well. So he's gonna at one point pull out the chipped cup and be like, "You you need to help me remember, Lassie." Yeah, my wee bairn. Look out for bears. <laughs> all right. Um, so many things. Um, just a couple of other little closing items, I guess, because there are things that I also wanted to discuss. Oh, number one, Henry still loves pizza. That's keeping in with his character. I liked it. The little scene at the beginning where Ronnie is telling Henry that, you know, maybe they should help Lucy see that this isn't real on her own because the sooner the fantasy fades, the sooner she can heal. That's very Mayor Mills in season one. Very Black Fairy mm. in the finale. Operation Heartbreak, good lord. Um, and then when she said, sometimes he said, sometimes you just gotta accept when mom knows best. And so she said, now be charming and don't slouch. I was like, keep your elbows off the table. <laughs> don't slouch. Ronnie is very Vivian Ward. Gracefully. Gracefully and grandly. What do you Don't suggest? Stop. A lot of night games. So, <laughs> see. I, oh, also, too, quick little programming note. I love that Lucy knew about how the book kept showing up in Snow White's closet, and that's why she was, like, looking there. How, okay, how extensive is the book Henry wrote? Because, I mean, six seasons is a lot. Like, that should have been, like, a Stephen King doorstopper if it was going to cover everything even down to that kind of detail, if you really think about it. So well, I not mean, if it I was, like, really only what happened in Storybrooke. If it was only the Storybrooke stuff, then that's actually not a whole lot. Yeah, but all the stuff in the Enchanted Forest, like, informs all the Storybrooke stuff, so there must have been mention of it, like, for it to make sense. I don't know. Maybe there was a thing where it was, like, if you love this, check out this other book. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Written by... Walt Disney. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I have no idea. But yeah, I just thought that that was really cute. I mean, I can't blame her for looking there either. I know from personal experience that all of the best magic happens inside of the closet before it just comes bursting out. So, oh my god, you know. <laughs> um, and I also too, by the way, loved when Drizella was getting um lessons in how to be a Jedi on Dagobah from Regina, in front of that Rapunzel Tower because I didn't say that before. I love that Regina have the line that says, if you believe in yourself, then it is possible, referring to magic. <laughs> I love that, you know, Drizella said, I wish I had a mother like you. And Rumpel's like, don't we all? And and oh. I can't. And and then she made a deal. She made a deal with Rumpel, a twisted little oh! imp. Like, oh. I love that she made a deal because she's like, I'll owe you. And just that pause. When he's, and I was like, oh, she made a deal. And he goes, all right. It's a deal. I was like, whoa, you done did it. It made me think of when it made me think of when Emma owed him the favor 
after like you still owe me a favor for for what was it? God, something to do with like the election, wasn't it? For sheriff. It was she uh, owed him something because that's why she had to go to Manhattan to find Neil in the first place. Why did she? What did she do for a favor? Was it? Was it? It was it the fact that she kept all of the he almost burned down or he rigged the election under her hat? Was that it? I th- I, I feel like it was something to do favor. with that. I feel like it. I no, feel like, you yes. know what it was. Huh? Wasn't it when he was beating up Mo French and she was like, "All right, no." No, it wasn't it. No, it's uh, I don't remember, but it's it is there. Maybe Somebody it does. Tweet us. Tweet I mean, us. Yeah, why, please because... please tweet us. You know, I mean, I'm sure it has something to do with the rigged election because most things do these days. So, you know, I oh. mean that that wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all. Um, We're old and feeble. You need to tweet us why things we can't remember. Exactly, please. Um, also, too, just another little quick note here. I can really see even more now how. Like here, I'm going to stick with my guns on this and say that if Jennifer Morrison had stayed with the show, she would have been the bartender and this would have been a very different scene because I feel like Emma would have been sitting on the bench with Henry as he's telling her, yeah, I grew up in the foster system and she would have said like I did. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like I kind of was like, I bet that this is what this would have been a scene. Like, I don't think that the episode would have necessarily played out the same. I mean, sure, maybe Regina did cheat Drizella magic, whatever, but I feel like this particular scene, this moment, would have been something more for Henry and Regina, or for Emma and and Henry, and they kind of had to switch it up a little bit. That was just kind of like my general well, I, feeling. I can, I can totally feel that, too, because what we just mentioned now with the parallel between the making a deal, and it's like, all right, you owe me one, like, that right there. Well, that's and what made me think of it, parallels. too. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. So I'm just looking over to see if there's any other any other notes. I don't really have any other notes, do you? I mean, I don't. Oh, well, I mean, we really should make mention of Adelaide Kane's amazing performance in that scene um, at uh, Anastasia's coffin. I mean, we talked about Tremaine and Anastasia. We really didn't talk about that was the moment that sealed the deal for me in her casting on this show. So let's go ahead and wrap up this week's episode of the podcast with our magic moments. That's something new that we're going to start uh-huh. this week, which is highlighting the scene or the character slash actor who stood out for us this week. And it did have a pretty big effect on both of us, but I'm going to go ahead and let Ashley bestow the honors this time. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, you know, because I, I feel like I, I've been much more wishy-washy about this season, so I appreciate that, because this was really one of the things, and then we've been sprinkling praise all throughout the podcast, but the scene, that scene, like I had mentioned, of Drusilla at the coffin, where she really kind of unfurls her evil plan, that was spectacular. That really just did it for me in terms of okay here's there's my villain like I I don't know if I did I say this just in private to you or I don't know if I said this on the podcast yet but that was the moment where I saw like shades of snow queen and just like a little bit of like first season Regina and what Adelaide I mean obviously she made it her own but that was the vibe I got was just all right here's our villainess. Here she is. And, like, it's so funny because we've talked about how she kind of seemed kind of like a, a, a 
joke character or a one note, you know, getting into situations like the Halloween episode, whatever. But to kind of have her just like slide in and be the mastermind and be just like unapologetically like evil and single-minded is just so such a satisfying like drink to take a sip of you know what I mean and I, we haven't mentioned it but the fact that her curse name is Ivy I mean in the whole plant mother Gothel motif whatever etc we should have seen this couple it's kind of like hindsight's 2020 so I think it's funny that like on a rewatch it's like oh see yeah no she was totes evil the whole time but just her performance like and it had everything to do with her body language and how she was delivering her lines. I can't pick out a specific phrase at the moment off the top of my head, but there was just certain w emphasis that she would put on words or how she would draw things out. And it was just very intense. The whole scene, that's what it was, is there was a tension and intensity to it that, like, even Tremaine was taken aback at what was happening right there and no one knew what to do. Regina and, and Tremaine were just kind of like, they took a step back like, all right, okay, whoa. So yeah, I really, really love that. What did you think, Zach? I mean, I agree with you um, on a lot of your, your points. There was a moment that, the the magic moment for me when it happened was, I don't remember exactly what the what the line of dialogue is, but she's saying something and her she has tears in her eyes that look like they are yeah. literally on the verge of just cascading down her face. Not like one or two, but like a real genuine just like this woman is about to like, lose emotional control and she just pulls it, she sad. just pulls back from it and they never even fall. They never even go down her face. I did, at least not that I saw. I didn't even see your tears fall. No, I know exactly what you're talking She's about. She's right there on the border of I'm so hurt and I'm so pissed and I'm and I'm actually not rageful. I'm not full of rage the way that Regina was. I'm not unbridled. I'm not completely impassioned in my revenge for you. I'm quite calm. I've learned every lesson you've ever taught me about how I should be conducting myself. And I'm going to conduct myself in just that way with all of this emotional restraint. Suicide before you see these tears fall down my eyes. But I am going to destroy your life with my calm demeanor. I'm going to plant a seed of whatever she said. <laughs> pain, a seed of pain <laughs> in your heart. And just watch it grow and grow and grow. And in what you said, I thank you for bringing up the fact that she was unapologetically evil because I have said that for so many years now. And the last time that I feel like I could really, truly apply that description to a villain was when we were talking about Cruella DeVille because she was fucking evil and she fucking loved it. And that's what I but have that was, that was like what it reminded me of. Do you remember? Yeah. Remember we would have those conversations like, what, and the, I would what, even what, say, I just coach. want somebody who's evil and fucking loves it. I don't want them to have some tragic backstory whereupon we mm -hmm. feel for them. I do. feel, But see, this is how it's different. I do feel for this girl. She has that backstory that is so tragic. And yet there's something about the way that Adelaide Cade is performing it. The way that she's executing she's... this that makes it so totally different to the point where I'm like, this girl is fucking evil and she doesn't care because she's been through so much in her life with this woman 
that it doesn't matter to her. She doesn't have anything left to lose because she's already lost everything. Her mother literally, she just figured out that her mother was going to kill her. She has lost it all already. She has nothing left. That's it. She's lost She's it. lost she's it. She's unhinged. If she casts the curse, well, who cares? What is it? What's going to happen to her? Nothing. And if the curse breaks, well, then what? This, is, this has nothing to do with her. This isn't about her. This is about her mother suffering. This is, it doesn't even have anything to do with the other. Now, isn't that a thing though? Cause it doesn't have anything to do with the other people suffering no. either. It really has everything to do with Tremaine's suffering. But if that's the case, then why are no, you going wait. to such, oh. then why is she not cursed? So she, so the real her can feel it. You just made me realize something and I got a bit of a chill. Like the, she is unhinged. But you were saying like, well, she doesn't. She's like, if the curse gets cast, then who or gets broken, then who cares? That's right. Who cares? This is a woman we're seeing right now who has literally nothing left to lose. Yeah, and like when I say who cares, I mean that literally because even her own mother doesn't care about her. So right, if the saying, curse like, breaks, like, if, who's, if going fails, to, who's going to who's going to care about Drizella? Who's going to care? But if, if 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 but yeah, but if that happens, it she's still coming up. She's she doesn't fail if that still happens though, because it doesn't directly affect her, and that's what's scary is that she could literally do anything because everything's on the table. And when that moment you mentioned, that is the image that stuck in my head the most is like those her shiny glassy eyes just calmly explaining like this horrible thing that's gonna happen. And it reminded me of that scene when Corella was like, oh, you know, I made my mom's dogs into a coat. Isn't this great? Ha ha. Totes evil. But with this, we have a reason and a rhyme to it. And that makes it almost more chilling because she's not, she is literally one step away from cackling total mad. And she's, she's crunching it down enough. And she's completely rational. She's completely rational. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where Corella's like, not rational. This is Corella if Corella had her shit together. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what makes this character so much more interesting and so dynamic. I'm so into Drizella. I'm so into this character. Yeah. Definitely, Adelaide Kane, you are taking this week's magic moment for <sighs> us. You just... I, wow. I wish I talked to her more at Dragon Con now. I'm like crud i wish i ha i hope lost. i have an opportunity to speak to her ever that would i just for if for no other reason than i can tell her that you like i don't know how you did it but in the space of like two episodes you turn this character from a one note evil stepsister into one of the most evil villains on the entire show ever <laughs> like i am excited in two episodes what you've done is absolutely incredible shout out as mm -hmm. well to the writing team I now that we have all this information, now that we are able to get into theories and start questioning all this stuff so much more, I can kind of see how things are being laid out. Like the groundwork has definitely been laid. I can kind of see where the season might be going, you know, for the rest of this tale for season seven of Once Upon a Time. I'm far more invested in this story now than I was before. And to be quite honest, it has nothing to do with Regina Rumpel or Fat Hook. It has everything <laughs> to do with the new characters. And so to that, I can only say, you know, if that was the goal, if that was the intention, mission accomplished, guys, because I've 
now care more about the new characters than I do about the older ones. I, so, I mean, it's getting there for me. I mean, I kind of feel like that, like for Rumple, like my feelings for him kind of like when beauty happened, I'm kind of like, okay, I know that his story is going to end with him dying and be reunited with Belle. I'm okay with that. I do not know what's going to happen with Fat Hook. I'm not as invested in his character to really have a huge amount of caring. I'm in, I mean, I care because I really like Fat Hook a lot. Like I, we talked about that before. I, I'm actually rooting for Fat Hook. I think that this character is far more interesting. But I don't know what the end game for him could be other than here's your daughter, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, I hate to say that I, I, maybe there is more to it, but so far those are really the only stakes that we have built for him. Those are the only ones that have been identified at this stage. So I don't know what else to root for really him for. Really quick. <laughs> if his daughter is Alice and Zelina's daughter is like the new love interest, just, just picture, picture in your head, like just the oh my god, awkward, Oh my like... god. Oh my god. <laughs> Isn't that the best? Oh my god, give it to me now. Just serve it up now, please. I'm ready. I want it on I my want screen. It all. The whole Sorry, thing. You just made me realize that, and I was like, oh. The whole thing. Just give me the whole thing, I promise. I'll just breathe. Just give me the whole thing. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah, that's that's a moment. But the, going back to, the, to what I was saying, though, like, the only character, really, who whose future I'm like Regina is it like especially with what we were talking about with the whole empty nest thing and what does she do with her life now Regina's future is the one I'm super interested in and I'm and really I mean I'm interested in what's going to happen with Henry and Jacinda too but really like for them ultimately they're kind of going to end up being a happy family unit is is the feeling I get I don't I mean I'd love to be surprised but that's kind of the feeling that I get Regina, Drizella, and Tremaine. That's kind of where I'm like, those are those are the three question marks. And Alice. Those are like mm -hmm. the well no, because she's gonna end up with Robin. So it's really Regina, Tremaine, and Drizella that I'm interested in, and I'm way into Drizella's character. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much gonna be it for me. And that's also going to do it for this week's episode of the Once Upon a Fan Podcast, guys. Thanks so much for joining us on this read. We'll be back next week with our review of the two-hour special. Don't forget, next week's a two-hour special for once. We're going to get Eloise Gardner for the first half, and then we're getting Pretty in Blue on the second half. And just a reminder, Eloise Gardner, written by David H. Goodman, Brigitte Hales, Pretty in Blue, Dana Horgan, and Leah Fong. And you know that one's going to be good because they just wrote Beauty, so oh my god. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be some good stuff. We'll have our normal two-hour episode as we normally do. We might have a little bit of extra that we'll throw on there and just kind of schedule it as a two-parter maybe on the same day. Who knows? We'll let you guys know. But in the meantime, thank you as always for joining us. And that's going to do it. So I am whatever is in Regina's drink. <laughs> and I am the way Regina says, Drusilla. With good reason now we know. Yes, we do. God, she's so awesome. Adelaide Cage, you're the best. Anyways, we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. But came the dawn. The show goes on, and I don't want to say good night. Don't say good morning. Good morning. Rainbow is shining through. Good morning. Good morning. Bonjour. Bonjour.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.